0: Everybody, welcome to the show. And I am super excited because the, I know this guest for a while, a long time, and she is a true champion uh, in the faith and woman of God, woman of integrity. She does so many things. Let me read a little bit about her bio. So she's the founder and CEO of a nonprofit organization called Sitsi Dim- Dimarikova. And sorry, I probably am not pronouncing that 100% right. Ministries, uh, which is also changing a generation, and it's dedicated to the social empowerment and educational development of orphans and underprivileged children that are living in impoverished communities in Eastern Europe and Africa. And so now, for two decades, she's been doing this and she's been in the nonprofit arena, cross cultural communications, and theological studies. And Setsi has become internationally recognized speaker in leadership, and uh, she's the philanthropist. She's also auth- authored. Five books, including the autobiography, which is If You Have God, and Motivated by the Impossible. I know she has a new one, and so she's going to talk about that just a minute. And by the way, I think there's a, a, another last name now, Harper, because Saitsi is recently married to an awesome man of God. So, Seti, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's so, so- good to see you.
0: I am used to people botching my last name because it's Coconato, so I know I probably botched your last name, but you, can you please uh, tell the audience how to properly say your name?
1: Ceci de Mirkova, and now I got married, so it's Ceci de Mirkova Harper.
0: Thank you. Well, see, you do a much better job than me, <laughs> so thank you. Well, Ceci, so you're out there doing some amazing things, and I mentioned some of it in your bio, but in Eastern Europe and in Africa, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about what you're doing?
1: So, I run a nonprofit. This is our 25th year since I started it. I started it basically when I was 19, arrived in the United States uh, from Bulgaria with $100, about 100 words of English, and my dream was that I would be able to help orphans and underprivileged children in Bulgaria um, to have a better life, Uh, growing up under communism, uh, which was also a socialist state uh, Mm. for... Uh, 16 years of my life there, and then getting saved shortly after communism fell in 1989. I was able to get a visa, a student visa, to come and study in the United States. And then um, that same year, after I arrived in the States, I started the nonprofit organization. And it's been running all of these years. I started it with just a dollar that I had in my pocket supporting one orphan in Bulgaria. And now we have a couple of thousand children that we get to minister to every month um, through different programs in the country, in the orphanages, and also in the different um, gypsy communities.
0: Hmm. Now, what's going on in Eastern Europe right now as we speak? What's What's the climate over there right now?
1: Well, uh, Bulgaria, for example, because it's a part of the uh, EU, the European Union, uh, was closed for several months. They were one of the first countries to shut down. Mm. And that was uh, the beginning of March, I think, when everything closed. And it was a very extreme type of a shutdown. Um, If you were found to be outside, you immediately were taken to jail, um, asked to pay several thousand leva, Uh, fees if you were outside. There were uh, people that were definitely um, suffering, like in the gypsy communities where we work with, they couldn't go outside, they couldn't get food. Some of them were eating grass and um, dirt uh, for just several weeks until we got in and finally uh, got a permit to be able to deliver food. And uh, we got approved to have a food bank. So through another organization in Bulgaria that we partnered with, we started delivering uh, food for like a month uh, with boxes. We had fed like I think over 4,000 different families uh, in that period of time. Yes. Then everything opened up in July. Uh, the kids were able to graduate from school and then uh, summer was over and then school opened up September 15th in Bulgaria. We resumed all of our programs. Everything right now in the country and I would say the Eastern European bloc, because every country is a little different in the way they're um, doing things with uh, the COVID restrictions, but Bulgaria is open. We can do all of our programs. Social distancing is obviously encouraged, Uh, however, the kids uh, at the moment can play outside without having to have uh, masks or social distancing restrictions. Uh, the the things are not um, what's happening there in Eastern Europe is not like here in the United States where you have all of these extra regulations. Right. We have had not we didn't have that many cases of COVID altogether, and they have not really even had any cases of young people with COVID. So that's been a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just glad that we can get back uh, with the kids and um, and see them because I don't know if people are aware, but trafficking um, and uh, pornography and visitation of porn websites um, and also abuse increased 5,000% between the shutdown and um, the opening of the countries in comparison Mm -hmm. to any previous year before. So our kids, obviously we have kids in Uganda and in Ghana and in Bulgaria. Um, we were really worried that something would happen to them and that somebody could snatch them and sell them for trafficking and we wouldn't know where they've gone.
0: That is so tough. Stacey, have you been over to these places since the COVID uh, crisis or have you been mainly leading through the United States?
1: No, um, things are basically a little bit um, uh, challenging to be able to go to Europe at the moment because you have to have several quarantines between here and if you stop at an airport in Europe and then get to Bulgaria another a quarantine and then on the way back. So we would have to spend like a month and a half in quarantine. Wow. So we haven't, but our goal was to go in November, which is, you know, just a, a week from now, but we're not going to be able to do that. I have a great team of people that works there locally with all the different locations. So they're visiting the kids, they're running all the programs so that's been great and we're hoping as soon as um, Europe opens a little bit more and some of those additional restrictions for traveling are lifted off that we can go back and visit the kids and and see how everything is going.
0: Yeah I want to unpack because you said a couple of really crucial things and I didn't even think the uh, our interview would take this turn but I think it's extremely important because you mentioned child trafficking and uh, the statistics of how much it's increased during this COVID-19 pandemic or so-called pandemic. Uh, So explain a little bit more in detail to those that really don't understand, why would this increase the trafficking and how is that happening?
1: So um, I have been working with this in this arena for over 20 years before the word trafficking actually even existed. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at statistical information online, you're not going to find a lot because a lot of the kids that, for example, we work with in Bulgaria do not have documentation. Mm-hmm. They can be born without a birth certificate and mm-hmm. be trafficked by someone who is either a relative or a distant person that pretends to be a relative that goes to the family or goes to the hospital and says, we can offer your child a better life and mm-hmm. we can pay you this amount of money and take your child to Western Europe where they would have a better lifestyle. And what we have found out for the most part is that the most uh, vulnerable people that don't have a lot of money, but have a lot of kids, especially in the Roma communities, get targeted. So they can sell a child, like even up to um, zero months old. Like the moment the baby is born, they are targeted. The women are targeted to sell their child. Wow. And because the EU has open border policy, meaning you can still go through the border and you're going to have paperwork checked. Hmm. However, um, it is very easy to transport the child across the border by fabricating false documentation and saying that this child is either yours or it belongs to somebody and you're just transferring the child from one place to the next. So we have seen that statistical information does not exist because these children are actually not in the system. They're in the orphanages. Sometimes they don't have the proper documentation. And other times in these villages, uh, the parents rather sell one child and have some money for the next three, four kids that they have. So it's a very brutal system. And the reason trafficking increased during the lockdowns is because you don't have uh, a lot of people that are able to go and visit the kids, like all of our programs when they got shut down. We can't go and visit the the entire neighborhood to find out if the kids are safe, if they're still there. So So they just capitalized
0: on this. They just said, oh, you know, no one's looking. Let's take them, right? Yeah.
1: Yes. And what people don't understand is that uh, even though borders were seemingly closed, uh, people who want to do something bad find a way to get through. And a lot of times it's uh, briberies that are used, uh, falsified documentation. Mm. And so um, it's a business that is so predominant in Eastern Europe for us to be an exporting nation of children and uh child trafficking uh, for working uh, permits uh, that are you know they're not really working permits, but they tell them you're going to come and have a better job and then they're trafficked for work or they're trafficked for uh, sex and prostitution. So most of most of the people that we see trafficked are young girls and young boys. Hmm. And uh, in our programs, I can tell you this, uh, it's heartbreaking, but one winter, It was so cold and we couldn't get to the kids because of all the snow, but traffickers got to the kids and 86 kids were trafficked in two weeks out of our program
0: from these Oh my goodness, so where do they go? They just get into this nebulous like black hole. I mean, they're sent around the world to various places. Where do they go when they're trafficked?
1: Well, a lot of times they're trafficked either through Greece and through Turkey. But predominantly, um, we have found out that our kids are trafficked into Belgium and um, uh, Denmark and some of the other Western European countries where they can get lost in the system. And even though, for example, the Netherlands uh, had a huge amount of trafficking of Bulgarian children, and they were able to bust several different rings of traffickers, um, unless you report that you see that a child is there and you're suspicious of the activity, they can just go and bust uh, the uh, brothel or or whatever the kids may be held. So yeah. it always has to be citizens being aware of what is happening and being able to call the police and ask for somebody to go and check into that house.
0: Wow. Now you know COVID nineteen. One of the things here in the United States, we've had a lot of testing. So Part part of the reason why it looks like we have a bigger problem here is because in other parts of the world, people just go to the doctor or the hospital when they're sick. Is that kind of what's happening over there? Are they doing testing? Is it even close to what we're doing here?
1: Oh, no. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even know what kind of testing system they got. I mean, supposedly they had test kits that were given by the EU and they should be doing testing, but there is no testing done like here where people voluntarily are just going and testing themselves. It's yeah. only if you are sick and you got extremely sick that you right. go to the hospital and then they test you and then they, they, they figure out you may have COVID.
0: Yeah. Um, and to, to people that are watching, that's that's the big discrepancy here because people say, why are the numbers so high in the United States? But they're actually not really fairer if you look at it that way because we're doing the testing, but the sickness and the death is not commensurate. So that's kind of what's happening in other places of the world. I wanna go back to the sex trafficking just because it's such an important thing. So, uh, you know, the current administration has taken a lot of initiative to fight sex trafficking and made it really a forefront uh, issue. Whereas in the past, we haven't heard much about it. I mean, the border and the different things that this administration, I know, uh, personally, because I've been dealing with a lot of the people on the faith based side, they've been talking about uh, fighting and combating sex trafficking. Um, Are you seeing any incremental changes uh, from your standpoint, uh, any benefits or any positives in the last couple of years?
1: Well, I think a lot of uh, awareness has gone out a lot more than in previous years because now people are actually posting a little bit more about it on social media. Unfortunately, I'm really disheartened to see that social media posts get taken down over these issues. Um, So that means that we have a problem and usually the people um, in some of these governments are the problem um, because they are not a part of the solution. They're a part of the problem and the existing system that goes on. Um, I have to say for the European Union. Even right now with, um, let's say example, A21 campaign, um, they have an office in Greece. They were recognized for enormous amount of work that they have been able to do within Greece, Turkey, Bulgaria, all of those countries around. They were actually recognized by President Trump, I believe just last week uh, for their work that was done in Eastern Europe. So we're making progress. We uh, decided we have to work together especially in that kind of an enormous issue because you can't just battle um, this problem by yourself as a nonprofit or just one person. A lot of people have to come together. And the more people are aware of the problem, even here in America and also abroad, that they can actually look around at the airports, at the stores, when they're walking somewhere, they can begin to recognize if a person is holding someone hostage. I have had uh, seminars that I would do so that I could train people how to recognize traffic victims, especially at airports. And mm. especially if you're traveling abroad, there is always going to be somebody that you can notice on a flight that something is not quite right. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it's very easy to miss.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's such an unbelievable thing. There's, there's a lot of people that, that claim it's a conspiracy that there's this global Uh, trafficking network, but you're right there on the front lines. Obviously, you know, it's what you're doing and and it's not a conspiracy. It's absolutely happening. Right, Ceci?
1: Well, you know, uh, for anybody that thinks it's a conspiracy, they should go. um, You know, somebody that a lot of people know as an organization is the United Nations. I've gone there to uh, be able to help with different speeches, uh, to meet with different uh, people that are working on international levels. And um, with the good and the bad, Uh, that goes on within the UN, Uh, they've written huge reports on trafficking in persons. So this is nothing new that just sprung up. It's just uh, that not a lot of people are aware of it because here in America, we're kind of isolated. If it's not happening in my neighborhood and in my life, that means it probably doesn't exist. Where somebody like me who spent their entire life traveling, you know, I have to tell people i found out about trafficking in the early or mid uh, 90s when mm. I went to Holland and found children trafficked out of the orphanages in Bulgaria mm. in uh, prostitution at the red light district. That's how I got a heart to be able to help them because I saw them on the windows begging for help. Wow. And these were little kids under 12 years of age. Wow. So, wow. This has been a long time issue, and it's not just something that happened um, during COVID. It's just all of a sudden during COVID, a lot of people started researching, talking about it, and then everything these days seems like a conspiracy theory if it's bad.
0: Well, yeah, anything that goes against the mainstream narrative or just anything new people question or, you know, it's it's like the normalcy bias. They don't want to hear anything out of their normal, like you said. Um, wow. So, you know, there's so much I could talk about there, but I want to shift gears because you did mention you you grew up under communism and we are in a very pivotal moment of decision here in the United States. Unfortunately, uh, one of our two major parties has really drifted uh, from the days of Kennedy to now really embracing socialism and even communism, uh, They're for people I can think of in particular that are in our Congress right now that, you know, outright, you know, say, yes, I'm a communist. So how does that make you f- feel living in the United States? These, you know, how many years you've been out and out, uh, 26
1: years starting in December. Yeah. So, so 26 years, yeah. you've
0: seen probably a lot of change, you know, I mean, what kind of, a, is there alarm bells going off or are you not concerned or what do you feel as you look at the current political climate?
1: Well, I got to say, when we first started with these lockdowns and all of the restrictions, I told my husband, I feel like we're entering global communism. Wow. I mean, I was having PTSD, just like mm-hmm. the reversal of some of the stuff that we have been through under communism and the restrictions and the accusations, the false, uh, fearful uh, propaganda that goes on 24-7 until everybody... Uh, complies with what is being told uh, Mm. from the news I mean to me that was an immediate sign and the worst part was it wasn't just happening here it was happening globally so um, I thought how in the world did everybody get on the same page within 24 hours and push this on the entire population in the world Um, so For me, what I am seeing right now with the COVID restrictions and how much is actually taking place, and it's so similar to the way our life was under communism. Let me just um, give a little bit of an explanation of life under communism. Yeah, please. So uh, people need to understand that, first of all, uh, socialism was founded by Marx, Karl Marx, hated capitalism. He didn't want any anybody to have their private life and a way of thinking for individually. Um, He wanted everything to be combined together and then somebody had to control the population. So then Vladimir Lenin out of Russia took the socialist ideology of Marx and morphed it into communism where you establish a socialist state where the government runs every, everything, including businesses, owns the houses, owns everything that you have. And then you have a communist government that literally serves as the dictating and mandating all of the rules and making sure that everybody obeys them. So we had a communist government and a communist nation for 45 years, hmm. the same exact president. And mind you, we still had elections. And every several years, the president, who was the dictator, would get elected 100% because he was the only one on the ballot to vote for. Wow. And um, so every so time- would anybody
0: even go vote? Or, I mean, how did you feel when you were voting?
1: I I was too young to vote, but everybody was made to vote. So you couldn't just say, I'm staying home, I'm not gonna vote. You yeah. had to vote because it had to be 100% um, that person was elected to serve the next mandate um, Mm -hmm. in the Communist Party. And um, during that time, we didn't celebrate Christmas, didn't celebrate Easter. Uh, Religion does not exist in a communist socialist state because the government is God. Whatever they tell you, that's Mm -hmm. what you do and that's who you worship. So we had all of these marches in honor of the communist leaders. Uh, We had a certain uniform that we had to wear every single day with a red tie, white shirt, blue skirt, blue pants, uh, black shoes, and white socks. And if you forgot your red tie going to school and if it was not ironed, you were sent back home uh, and asked to bring your parents and there would always be some kind of a scare tactic or a penalty that um, you would either have a black dot behind your name or you would be threatened that you're not going to be able to go to university if you accumulate certain amount of black dots. So Mm. everything was controlled system until you learn how to just wake up, not exercise your mind for choices, but be uh, a doer of what you're told without asking questions. So I was left handed, couldn't be left handed. Uh, Anytime I asked a question, what happens to a person after they die, that was the forbidden question. And of course, in a socialist state, um, you have very limited amount of information. I think we had one hour total news throughout the day and four hours of TV and all of that was coming from Russia. So everything that they wanted for us to believe, we only got news from Russia and we were told consistently, America is against us, they're about to bombard us, and they're um, not good people living in America. So, um, of course, that was during the Cold War between uh, Russia and America, and so it felt like we as people living underneath that were told every single day that America is the one that hates us and has uh, evil uh, thoughts about what they were wanting to do to us, while Russia, on the other hand, had only good intentions. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we had to submit to what Russia wanted. And um, going to the store even, you didn't have to really think what you're wanting to choose because you only had one type of bread, one type of milk, one type of sugar. So people don't understand is in a socialist state, you have uh, no choice and no even individuality you are always told and somebody else has made the choices for you and you have to basically submit to that choice.
0: That is a lot to take in because you don't normally hear somebody break it down that way. Uh, The young people in our educational institutions today are actually being taught and coming out feeling that socialism is good Uh, It's a positive thing that capitalism is bad, uh, that our nation is bad and we have all these different, you know, and obviously America has blemishes in its past. But, you know, considering the freedoms that we have, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, uh, the fact that I can go out tonight and go to a store, uh, you know, uh, we have a Publix near us and, and buy anything I want. And there's so many choices and I can get anything I want. I mean, it, I think we take a lot of this for granted states and you've lived under a different type of government and now you're seeing this argument come to the United States. Many people thought it never could come here, but here it is. What would you say to Americans as they hear this about the danger and, and how close it's at our doorstep now, you know, should we be concerned? What should, what should we do according to your opinion?
1: Well, I think there is definitely a level of concern because it takes about 25 years to demoralize the society. And the way you do it is through the educational system. So once the society is demoralized, that also means that they're dehumanized. So the value of life is no longer respected. That's why we see what we uh, see on TV and happening in certain cities around the country, because when ideology becomes the predominant way of life and you begin to believe that 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 ideology is more uh, um, higher than Uh, The freedom that you have here in America, then people who are already believing that ideology are willing to do whatever it takes, Mm. while everybody else who is in the free society thinking this would never happen, they take absolutely no action. So for people like me who know exactly how communism even started, because um, we were under the Ottoman Empire for 500 years in Bulgaria. And then we also had kings that ruled the country. Mm. And um, so we weren't supposed to go into communism, but they killed them. They overthrew the entire system. And then it took three years to fully implement a socialist state in the country starting in 1941. So when you begin to study history, of how many nations tried socialism and tried and um, actually didn't succeed. And then they called it something else and continue to oppress the people. I can tell you right now that uh, once the society is dehumanized, then you're very well able to bring any kind of ideology into them for them to believe it and to act upon it. And anytime somebody doesn't agree, with their opinion for them to go against you full blast. Because um, a, another example, like uh, when we were the, under the Ottoman Empire, even though it wasn't communist, the way it started and the way it continued for 500 years is they took the youngest children and they literally brainwashed them to believe uh, what the Ottoman Empire wanted them to believe and if their parents disobeyed or didn't do something they were the spies and they were asked to go and kill their family. Wow. So um, I am praying that we would never as a society come to that level of degradation and yeah. dehumanization but the second aspect after that is creating crisis crisis that weren't there out of the blue are there and whoever created them now comes up with a solution of Mm -hmm. solving the crisis and then you have like a peaceful state of agreement after the crisis is over because um it's like a narcissistic relationship Uh, you are in a bad relationship altogether you're beginning to think is this a bad dream that i'm living and everything that you have is a part of you being a good person is projected now onto the other party or onto the other person. And you're beginning to feel like you have absolutely no value. And that is exactly what that system tries to do. In a socialist state, the individual does not have value. Uh, Everything is connected as collectivism. So if we take one person out of the hole, they won't be missed because we still have the collective group of individuals that we can actually hold um, different fearful factors and punish um, somehow. So when you have collectivism, you also remove personal responsibility, accountability, and um, everything begins to go downhill because at that point, the production of Uh, even just working, the the value of life is already taken down because you're relying on somebody else to do your job. You're relying on somebody else to fulfill the order. And your excuse is, well, I just didn't see it. Or, I mean, we're in this together, so somebody else should do this responsibility. So we saw that bribery and jealousy and shame and fear are the predominant factors when a socialist society is placed and a socialist state is established in a nation. And um, yeah. to me, when I look in comparison to what is happening now and how we have gone so quickly into shaming each other, uh, right. walking around yeah, into fear, yeah. um, like in, how could any of us who have lived under socialism think otherwise? I am yet to meet a person who has lived under an actual socialist communist regime to run down to another country knocking on their door to get in there because they loved it so much. That's
0: right. They're always coming here and that's because we offer freedom in the constitution and that's what they're trying to whittle away and take away. Uh, Wow, Ceci, this is really powerful. Everybody can see how intelligent Ceci is and uh, how well-spoken she is. and I could just pick her brain for hours and hours, but I want to be uh you know concerning of her time she's got a lot going on uh real quickly before we get in your latest book and you tell us how we can find you just have a question i know i've asked this before because you and i have known each other for lots of but for the listeners how did you come to know christ coming out of all this and how did that happen just briefly
1: well, I am here as a testament that no matter what kind of regime is out there, God is bigger than any dictatorship that humanity can possibly place. Mm. Because communism fell in 1989, shortly after the Berlin Wall fell in Germany. And the gospel for the first time came into Bulgaria in 90, 91, 92. I got saved in 92. Mm. And uh, I was a German translator at the time a group from Germany came on our street to deliver food. Like I said, at that time, Russia dropped us uh, immediately after communism fell. So we had no electricity, no water, um, not a lot of food supplies. And so long lines, uh, hunger everywhere. So these people are on my street getting ready to give food. And I'm thinking, what, they speak German? It was the first time to see a foreigner, even though I was starting, uh, yeah. studying German. Yeah. And um, I went outside. I asked them to come into my house. They gave me a huge box of food, and in it, there was the Bible. And they told me about Jesus, but I thought, well, I don't want to believe in Jesus, but if you're giving out more food tonight, I'm going to come to the outreach. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I went to the outreach, and the person speaking that night was an American evangelist uh, called to be uh, with his family, missionaries to Germany and Eastern Europe, And he gave us the story in German about Mm. the woman with the issue of blood and how Jesus is always willing to heal us. Well, I had pain in my stomach for years and I said, God, if you're really real, um, I used to be involved in witchcraft, uh, but I know that I cannot heal myself through witchcraft. So if you're more powerful than all of these um, other things that I have done, then I want you to heal me and then I'll give my life to you. Yeah. And in that very instant, the pain left. I felt like I was totally healed. And I went and I gave my life to Jesus. And I was the first person in my family to become a Christ follower.
0: That is beautiful. Stacey, thank you for sharing that with us. And we just uh, continue to be blessed by your ministry. I know more people hopefully will come to your website. Tell them how they can find you on social media. And then I want to hear about your latest book too.
1: Oh, yes. Um, just my name, Stacey, C-E-I-T-C-I.org. If they go to that website or changingageneration.net, all of our information for the social media and uh, everything that we do is on both both of the websites. And our newest book is called Exposed to Hope. And these are the stories of the children that we have worked with over the years in Bulgaria. Um, They're not all happy endings, some of them end up being trafficked and we haven't been able to find them but then we have a lot of them who actually uh, have had their lives transformed um, out of poverty and out of abuse and finding the Lord and so these are all uh, full color pictures and stories and I really believe they can inspire people to make a difference internally in somebody's life So the book is available on both of the websites, sati.org or changingageneration.net.
0: Excellent. And Sati comes to churches and speaks all around the world. And so you can also get in touch with her on the website. And, you know, I would highly recommend having her come. She speaks in big and little churches everywhere, but she's an amazing speaker. Saitsi, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: It's a blessing. And we're going to be praying for you and everything that that you're doing out there thank you thank you so much all right and we'll be right back hello my name is pastor Todd Coconato I'm the director of the religious Liberty coalition I'm here today to talk to you about a very important matter for your church or your ministry You don't have to be a pastor to be concerned, but religious liberty in America is under attack. That's right, right now churches are being fined, some pastors are being threatened with their power turned off, or maybe even being thrown in jail. We have to respond, and that's why the Religious Liberty Coalition is here. We are a robust network of believers in Christ who are willing to stand together and fight for religious liberty and freedom in the United States. Not only that, but we will give you the resources and educational materials that you need as well as legal counsel and legal protection. That's right, legal protection. If you join the coalition, you will be protected. Think about it. Joining the coalition could be the most important move that you've made for your ministry, church, or yourself. We will stand with you. You can also sponsor your church. It will be the same thing as if they joined themselves. We need this type of protection in 2020 and beyond. Join the RLC today. You can find us at www.rlcus.org. Thank you and may God bless America. hello my name is pastor todd coconato and this broadcast is brought to you by remnant ministries and we are fully self-funded we have been attacked on social media and literally cannot even do any advertisement or get any monetary compensation for anything that we do online so the only way that we're able to do these broadcasts is by your support i need your help guys we really feel called of god to get this information out but we can't do it without your listener support. You are crucial. You're a critical part of what God is doing in this ministry. If you are able, please go to www.toddcoconato.com/give. That's T-O-D-D-C-O-C-O-N-A-T-O.com/give, and please help us in this fight that we're in. Thank you so much, and may God bless you.